You know, everyone eventually will have to finish that sentence, Jesus is. And I don't know what you would fill in that sentence, how you would fill it in. And many of you are Christians, you've been to church, you know, a long time. Some of you maybe not, so, and you're exploring that. Maybe you've been brought to church and brought up in church, but you've never really finished the sentence for yourself. Well, that's what we hope and pray over this Easter period, that you can fill in that sentence for yourself. And maybe if you have filled it in before, maybe you'd put some new words now in that sentence as you discover something more to this person called Jesus. Some uh, filming people went out on the streets and asked people in Britain uh, how they would finish the sentence Jesus is. What do they think when they think of the word Jesus, the name Jesus? Here's the response. Um... Um, uh, um, I don't know. Um, uh, whoa. God, what a question. He was born on Christmas Day. Yeah. He was probably a guy who was quite groovy like Gandhi many, many years ago and did some carpentry and was probably quite a nice bloke. Did you sound up this film? I think that uh, he's a man with uh, long hair and, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's got sun. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've never like seen him or anything like this and I don't really believe in him. I think Jesus is... Fictionary. I think Jesus is probably a guy that's made up to try and keep people in line. To be honest, he's part of the biggest con ever to be associated with mankind. I think that Jesus is like something that people have in their imagination and that they use to kind of comfort themselves in sort of difficult situations, maybe. I think a person called Jesus existed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's a little bit crazy. He's important. Yeah. But that's for all young people like us, uh, yes. I don't know. He's important because Jesus. No. <laughs> like my best friend, for her, like, kind of Jesus is a big factor in her life and like her making decisions. So there's like so many different religions, you don't really know what to believe and nothing's wrong, but it's like, is Jesus real? Because there's so many different things you can believe in. For real Jesus. Uh... Uh, um, not sure. Lots of different views about Jesus. You know, some of the, when you think about Jesus, some of the traditional images you have in your mind, and there are a variety of images. Here's the traditional one, the blonde hair, thanks, the blonde hair, blue-eyed, Abba tribute band kind of Jesus. Of course, completely fictitious because Jesus was born in Israel, Middle Eastern, didn't look like that at all. Then there's the mystic Jesus. This is the image some people have in their mind, the kind of guru, the mystic, the kind of religious Yoda type character. Then there's the Hollywood one. When I was growing up, Jesus of Nazareth, anyone remember Jesus of Nazareth? I watched this, used to watch this as a kid every Sunday night and I always used to get fascinated by how Robert Powell never used to blink. Have you ever remember that? It's like, how did you do that? Like you never used to blink, these piercing blue eyes, uh, the Hollywood image. And then there's the revolutionary Jesus, this kind of big thing that was out in the 70s and the 80s, wasn't it, with it on the t-shirts. This idea that Jesus was some kind of revolutionary that by force would overturn the system, the corrupt system of capitalism, etc., etc. And then a few years ago, there was a TV uh, program called Son of God, where they portrayed Jesus like this. Um, the next one. Yeah, as the black Jesus, okay, trying to, you know, kind of maybe, uh, 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 maybe kind of, you know, have a little poke at some of our stereotype views of Jesus. And then now there's any kind of Jesus image around, including this one, the next one, the kind of cool, not quite so cool, but very quirky Jesus. You know, what people have said about Jesus in history is very interesting. H.G. Wells was a historian and an author. 
And he wrote this. More than 1,900 years later, a historian like myself, who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture centering irresistibly around the life and character of this most significant man. Then he says this. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is what did he leave to grow. By this test, Jesus stands first. That's not a Christian. That's a historian talking about Jesus. Albert Einstein, incredible brain. Again, not a Christian. He said this. As a child, I received instruction in both the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. What an incredible phrase. You know, when people say to you, oh, Jesus is a myth and a fairy tale and a legend. Einstein, who wasn't a Christian, said no myth is filled with such life when you read about Jesus. And then from H.G. Wells and from um, uh, Einstein, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, Madonna. She said this. She said, when I was growing up, I was religious in a passionate way. Jesus Christ was like a movie star, my favorite idol of all. But Bono from U2, he said this, when asked about Jesus, he said this, when people say, you know, good teacher, prophet, really nice guy, this is not how Jesus thought of himself. Then Bono goes on to say this, either Jesus was who he said he was or a complete and utter nutcase. You have to make a choice on that one. You see, eventually, everybody has to finish the sentence, Jesus is And what I want to look at in our first session this morning is this. Jesus is not what we expected. He's not what we expected. So if you've got a Bible, we're looking at Matthew chapter 21. If you haven't got a Bible, the the words are going to come up on on the screen. This is the story of Palm Sunday, which I'm going to read to you. It says this, as they approached Jerusalem um, and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them. Um, Uh, uh, for, for Jesus to sit on a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest heaven when Jesus entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred and asked who is this the crowds answered this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee Let me give you a little bit of background around about this story. Um, you know, there are four Gospels in the New Testament and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're basically biographies about Jesus. That's what they are. And they're all from a slightly different perspective. So sometimes you see some stories in some that aren't in, in others. But when you see a story that's in all four, it's elevated to a whole different level. This is one of those stories. All four Gospels have this story in them. All four biographies have this story in them. And, and this story uh, is, is about the start of this week uh, where Jesus changes tack. Up to this point, the three years that he's been uh, wandering around the, the area, he's been doing miracles, he's been teaching, his disciples have been following him, crowds have followed him. But he's kept himself a little bit out of, off the radar. He's gone a little bit around the edges. But this week he goes big, he goes public. 
and he's riding into Jerusalem. And um, at the time, there was a, it was the feast of the, the Passover. Jews have lots of great feasts and festivals. They have three major ones. One is Passover, where they celebrate what happened hundreds of years before when Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. If you've seen the film Exodus, God and Kings, nothing like that at all. Okay, But that's basically what it was supposed to be like. Okay, That's Passover. And um, historians took a census of how many lambs were killed at this time. They reckon there were 250,000 lambs. And there's one lamb for every 10 people in the Jewish tradition. That means there were around 2.5 million people in the city when Jesus rode in on a donkey. Now in the ancient world, when the population of the world was a few million rather than 6 or 7 billion, 2.5 million in a city is huge. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and I'll talk about the donkey in a minute, to around two and a half million people who are filling the city that day. And they're all saying, who is this person called Jesus? Now the donkey's really important because to us, a donkey isn't a very noble creature. But in the ancient world, a donkey was a very noble creature. And in fact, a king would ride on a donkey. You see, when a king rode to war, he'd ride on a horse. When he'd ride into the city bringing in peace after the war had been defeated, he'd ride in on a donkey. And, and, and when I said in that, in the, when I read those words from the Bible, the Jews realized and they knew their history. They knew that hundreds of years before, a prophet called Zechariah had prophesied that God would send a Messiah, someone who would rescue them, and that he would come in riding on a donkey. And so, on that day, the Jews saw this man Jesus, this prophet, this teacher, this miracle worker, this amazing man. And they saw him riding in on a donkey. And so their expectations were, he is going to be the Messiah that was promised and that was prophesied. He's the one that's going to sort out all of our problems, get rid of the Romans and establish the kingdom of God on earth. That's what they expected. But Jesus is not what we expected often. And what's really interesting is who might have been in the crowd on that day. And I want to suggest that there were at least five categories of people in the crowd that day. And I want to demonstrate them to you this morning. So Simon, Martin, can I have you guys? Aisha, you've already done it. Where's Will? Will, we'll have you again. And I need one more. I'll go for Peter Allen. Why not? A little round of applause for these guys. In fact, I'm a little... So one, two, three... If you go at the end and Pete, if we go number four, is that okay? So I want you to imagine who were the people in the crowd that day. Maybe there were people who were apathetic to Jesus. Maybe they got carried along with the mob and with the crowd and they think, oh, so I'm not bothered. Son of God, Messiah. So look apathetic. So, yeah, you're looking pretty good without acting there. That looked amazing. So just look. Oh, you were acting. You were acting. Yeah, I know. We didn't text each other about the shirts, which we, no, we normally do on a Saturday night. We seriously do. So he's apathetic. And, and, and there are some people who are apathetic towards God. You know people. Maybe you're here today and you're here because somebody invited you or promised you a lunch if you went somewhere first and that's how you've come. Maybe you're apathetic towards God, but you certainly will know people who are and they just don't really think about God. There were people in the crowd that day who I think were apathetic towards God. And then there were the skeptics. That was you before, wasn't it? Oh, you've changed. So can you be skeptical? Can you like point your finger like that? Yeah, that looks pretty skeptical. So then I think there were the skeptics, those who were looking for reasons not to believe. They're the kind of people that if they finish the sentence, it would be Jesus is a myth, a fairy tale, a legend, irrelevant. They're skeptical. Maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe you're actually, well, yeah, I'm skeptical, but I don't believe that he doesn't exist, but I've just got lots of doubts and questions about how he works. 
If that's you this morning, then you're in great company because many of us have also got doubts and questions as well. We just choose to keep following this man, Jesus, even with our doubts and with our questions. And then I think there were the extremists. So can you look extreme, Aisha? Not really. <laughs> Imagine you've got a gun. Okay. And there were extremists in the crowd that day, definitely. In fact, some of the guys around Jesus in his closest bunch, Judas, was one of these extremists. The zealots, the, 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 kind of, the ones that actually, that they were passionate about God sending a Messiah who would forcibly remove Rome from them so they could be a free people. And there were extremists there in the crowd. And let me just say a little word about extremism. You know, because we hear a lot about extremism in our culture and it's a very real, very dangerous threat. But can I say, when you hear the argument about Christianity and extremism, and people quote at you things that have happened in history like the, the, the Crusades and the Inquisition and all of this, you need to ask one very sensitive question. It's this, listen, are those atrocities, many of them which did happen, are they because of the teaching of Jesus or are they in spite of of the teaching of Jesus because that's a really important question because Jesus was extreme but he was not a violent extremist Jesus threatened and challenged the status quo but he never ever did it violently and actually Jesus was the one that talked about forgiving your enemies and about turning the other cheek and about going the extra mile and about laying your life down and he talked about responsibilities rather than rights so when people throw the extremism one at you Please say, hey, hey, I know that. And that's a very real thing. But you know what? That is not the teaching of Jesus. That's a perversion of it that people have done. So they were extremists. Then, fourthly, there were also the fans. There were the fans. And I thought, how can I illustrate? You're yeah, good, good. But I thought I could illustrate it even better, actually, by, um, by giving you my, my Aston Villa top. And, um, wow. I've got the mic. I'll decide what happened there. And actually, when I picked this up, I didn't realise this was from my 40s, so you could actually be my fan as well, Pete. Or at least the Villa fan, okay? And so there were fans in the crowd that day. And, and what a fan is, as we talked about in, in January, is loads of people that follow Jesus when life is going great. And actually their view, their expectation of Jesus is that Jesus in my life will make me healthy, wealthy and happy. And as long as I'm healthy, wealthy, and happy, oh, nice. <laughs> that suits you, mate. You want that's, that's a sign right there. As long as, I'm, as long as I'm healthy, wealthy, and happy, then I'll keep following him. But if my health struggles, or my money, or my happiness, then all of a sudden, I'm not a fan any longer. A fan is fickle, is what we talked about in January, remember? And there were many fans in the crowd that day. Many who cut down the palm branches and said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a few days later, they're the same people that are, sing, that are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Because a fan is fickle. A fan will change his or her mind when life gets difficult. But in that crowd, there were also some not just skeptics or apathetic people or um, extremists, but there were also some followers and they were the committed ones of the Bible, bigger than anybody else's. And there were some committed followers in the crowd that day. But here's the thought. Even the committed followers, by the end of the week, didn't realize who Jesus was. Because the Bible says that at the start of the week, there were maybe thousands of people in the crowd. In just six short days, that ends up just one on his own on a cross. Everyone else had gone. Because even the followers said, Jesus is not what we expected. We didn't expect you, Jesus, to end up on a cross. 
Thank you, guys. Why don't we give them a round of applause? All right, mate. But you know, the big question this morning, folks, is not who might have been in the crowd that day, but who's in the crowd today? And which one are you? And maybe you're apathetic. Maybe you're sceptical. Maybe you're questioning. Maybe you're extreme. Maybe your view of Jesus is that extremist that's going to come and turn the circumstances around kind of forcibly. Maybe you're a fan and you'll follow Jesus when life's going great, but when it's not, you want to. Maybe you're a follower who are passionate, but, but right now what he's doing in your life, you can't quite understand it. Maybe you've got some questions and some thoughts as well. And what I want to kind of do this morning is, is I, want to, I want us to think about the question of how you would complete that sentence. Who is Jesus to you? You know, one day Jesus took his disciples to a place a few miles away from Jerusalem called Caesarea Philippi. And he said to them, hey guys, who do people say I am? And some of them say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, this prophet from the Old Testament. And he said, okay, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, it doesn't matter what other people say about Jesus. What really matters is who do you say he is? How would you finish the sentence? Because eventually everyone will complete the sentence. And what I want to say to you this morning is this. Jesus is not what we expected, but exactly what we needed. Jesus is not what we expected. Nobody in the crowd, all of their expectations were turned on their head. He is not what we expected, but he's exactly what we needed. And I know this is going to be familiar to many of you, but if there's anybody here this morning and this is not familiar to you, I really want you to hear this. You see, he's exactly what we needed because we needed a bridge. And this is a very, very old illustration. But as I've been thinking about this again this week, I've just been so in awe again at what God has done for me. And I tell you, you can never go too far past what he's done at the cross. We can get deeper into God, but I tell you, if you ever lose the wonder of what Jesus has done for you, you've lost it all. And it becomes knowledge, doesn't become transformational. And you know what, what happened is that the Bible says that God, and forgive my very poor art, that God created mankind in relationship. And there's God and there's us. But because God's the God of love, he gave us free will and a choice. And because we chose to go away from him, that meant that there was a separation between us and him. It wasn't God's choice, it was our choice. And that became like a chasm. And what we try and do is that we've tried to get across that chasm by the things that we do. We try to create our own bridge to get to God. And so maybe we tried to be good and we thought that would be a bridge. Maybe we, we, we think that, well, you know, I'll be, um, I'll be even better than good. I'll be sacrificially good and I'll help the poor, which is a really important thing to do. And we do that here as a church. But that doesn't get us to God. Maybe going to church and reading the Bible a lot. That's a really good thing to do, but that doesn't get us to God. No matter what we try and do, it never gets us to God. And because God is so relational, God says, I can't stand this. You know, I have to have this gap has to be closed. They can't do it, so I will. So what he did is he sent Jesus on the cross to be that bridge between us and him. So that we then could cross over and we could enter into a relationship with God. And I don't know about you, but that always blows me away, doesn't it? And I want to say this morning, he's exactly what we needed because we needed a bridge. And we needed a bridge that was strong enough. And this Easter time, when you think of Jesus, especially men, okay, often men think of Jesus as that quite effeminate, quite 
touchy-feely, quite uh, emotionally sensitive guy, and that's all you think about. Now, I actually think he is emotionally sensitive and all of that stuff, but he's the strongest man you can ever experience. Because for 30 years, he was a carpenter. And in those days, they didn't have B&Q on juicens, okay? So he had to go into the forest, into the woods, cut down the trees, get the trees back, not on a, on a, on a, on a truck, because they didn't have them. He had to strip the trees down, create the wood, and so he would have had muscles, just big muscles, okay? And he would have been ripped, and he would have been all craggy, and his hands wouldn't have been lily white like mine, okay? He was a real strong man physically. He was a strong man morally. The Bible says he never did anything wrong. He never committed any of this stuff that we commit. He was a strong man morally. He was a strong man mentally and spiritually. He was a man of incredible strength. And the bridge Jesus is a strong enough bridge for any one of us. And that's amazing, isn't it? It's also wide enough for any of us to cross over. So we needed a bridge. But secondly, we also needed a saviour. We needed a saviour. Because we needed rescue. Because the word in Hebrew for salvation literally means rescue. The problem is the Jewish mindset is this. They believe that salvation is rescue from our circumstances on the earth. Especially oppression from another country. So to them that was rescue. That was salvation. And then the non-Jewish people and many, many people over the last few centuries, our understanding of salvation is salvation is being rescued from all the things we've done wrong so that when we die we go and be with God in heaven. Now, there is some truth in all of that, but that's not primarily the rescue that God is talking about. I believe that salvation is literally this. Salvation is rescue from a life of disconnection with God. And that starts now and goes on into eternity. And so that's why Jesus said to the rich young man who had all that wealth, sell it all and give it to the poor. He never said that to anyone else. He said it to that man because he knew that that man's wealth was disconnecting him from experiencing the real life of God. That's why he said to that woman at the, uh, that Simon talked about a few weeks ago who was at the well. And, and Jesus said, hey, go and speak to your husband. I, I don't have one. No, you don't. There's five. There's so many men in your life. That's because relationships with men are what are disconnecting you from the life of God that you're really looking for. So you need to get rid of that because you need rescue so that you can know the life of God that I have for you. And you see salvation, rescue, we need that. Every single one of us need rescue. I want to suggest on a daily basis. Because maybe for you this morning, there is something which is disconnecting you from the life that God has for you. Maybe you need rescue from that. Well, he may not be what you expected, but he's exactly what you needed. Isn't that great? Jesus is exactly what you needed. But you know, not only was he that uh, rescue, not only was he that bridge, and not only is he that saviour, but thirdly, we also needed a friend. A friend for when? Well, I actually think we need a friend for when life is great as well. Have you ever had an experience where you've been in a, somewhere or you've done something and you've turned and said, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to see that. Have you ever done that? The reality is that the Bible says that Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And whenever you experience something great in your life, I want you to know, if you know God, you've got a friend right there who's experiencing it with you. And his joy over your joy is unbelievable. So the next time that you do something amazing, you need to know, if you're a Christian this morning, Jesus is there with you and he's smiling more than you are. So we need a friend for when life is good to experience it. But we also need a friend for when life is confusing. And Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. Sometimes we've lost our way, haven't we? And we need that friend 
who's closer than a brother, who knows the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. We also need a friend for when life is overwhelming. For those of you that are here last Saturday night, Priscilla Reed that was speaking, she spoke into a few people's lives prophetically. That's like God speaking through her into their lives. And one of the things that she said, which really touched me, was that verse from 1 Peter 5, verse 7 in the message. And it says, live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. And I love that about Jesus, that I have a friend who is there when life is overwhelming and when all of the cares and anxieties and stresses of life seem and are about to crush me, I can give them to him because he's careful with the things that affect me. Isn't that amazing? And Alison and myself, you know, I've experienced many times and lots of different things and often with Simeon because of all our son's disability and, and, and issues where there's been times where, where the pressure of that and the stress and the overwhelming kind of stuff threatens to crush us and to weigh us down, to know that there is someone that we can share that with who is careful with the things that push us down is amazing. Maybe not what we expected, but exactly what we needed. And I want to say without creating a donor, Jesus is also a friend for when life is ending. Because the ultimate statistic is one out of every one of us at some point are going to die. And at that point, to know that there is a friend for when life is ending is incredibly liberating. The Bible says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through death valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. And when you know that there's a friend who will walk through the end with you and into the next stage, you can live life as God intended. Because the fear of death is the one big thing that nobody in our culture is really talking about. We're all pretending it's not there and it is there. But I'll tell you what, you put your hope and trust in Jesus and you will have a friend for when life is ending, which is amazing. So this morning, what about you? Start of this Easter season, this Easter period. Jesus is not what you expected, but he's exactly what you needed. How do you finish the sentence this morning, Jesus is? You know, for me, Christianity is Christ, nothing more, nothing less. And I was reading recently, uh, this week actually, that many of us, even followers of Jesus, we can be affected by what this guy called JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder. You know, there's so many of these things in our culture now. We're almost like we think about everything else and Jesus is kind of on the periphery. We might sing about him and to him, but actually there's a deficit of Jesus in our lives. And you, maybe you've lost sight of Jesus this morning. Maybe this morning you're someone who's here and you've never experienced him for yourself. Maybe you've never said yes to him. Maybe you've never walked across that bridge to him. You've never invited him to rescue you. You've never asked him to become that friend that I've been talking about. You could do that today. Or if you're not ready for it today, maybe you could come back Friday, hear a little bit more about what Jesus did on the cross. Or next Sunday, what's the big deal about the resurrection? A resurrection from the dead? Are you serious? Come back next Sunday and find out. But maybe there's many of us here and you are Christians. You've done all that. You've walked across the bridge. You've said yes to the Savior. You've invited him to be friend. But maybe you've lost sight of him. Maybe you've lost sight of him. Maybe somehow your life has got so kind of out of control a little bit or so busy or so stressful that you've just lost sight of him. And you know, nearly all of our issues come when we lose sight of Jesus. Because when we lose sight of Jesus, we lose our centeredness. Or maybe this morning you're someone that says, well, that's all right. Leon, but actually where my life has got to now, it's a complete mess. It's all gone pear-shaped. There's no way Jesus could do anything with this mess. This week I was reading a book 
that a friend of mine has written and um, kind of a third of the way through the book and she tells a story in the book which I never heard before. It's a story about a violinist called Peter Cropper and a famous violinist that played with orchestras all around the place and he was given a 258-year-old Stradivarius violin. Now you might not know anything about violin stuff but you'll have heard of Stradivarius, just like the top violin maker in history. And he was given this 258-year-old violin made by Stradivarius, which was uninsurable. It was so valuable. And he played it, and it was amazing, and created amazing music on this instrument. And then one night, uh, as a concert, he was in the wings on the stage, and as it was his turn to come out, he walked out and he tripped. And as he tripped, he fell down, and he broke the 258-year-old, uninsurable Stradivarius violin. He was inconsolable, as were the people that lent him the violin, can I say. (laughs) And he gave it back to them and none of them knew what to do with it. But here's the story. Somebody said, actually, I think I know someone who can do something. And they gave it to this master craftsman who painstakingly, over time, fixed the violin and gave it back to him. And apparently, when he then began to play on it, the music he created was so exquisite that it was even better than when he played it before. And when I read that story, I thought, and that is the person that I know called Jesus if I give him my life, no matter what kind of mess it's in, he is such a master craftsman, such a bridge, such a saviour, such a friend, he can put it back together again. And the music that can be played on this life can be even more exquisite than it was before. And so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe your life has gone a little like that at the start of this incredible season. Maybe you could say to Jesus, hey Jesus, I want to focus on you. I want to come back to you or I want to ask you into my life. Maybe for the very first time. Many years ago, an African-American preacher got up in a service to pray spontaneously and this prayer has become legend and all around the world, many of you heard it before. I want you to listen to it one more time and to watch it with a slightly revamped thing on the media because here's someone's attempt (laughs) to finish the sentence to describe who Jesus is. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. 
He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Thank you, Lord. Why we stand together? So do you know him? Not did you know him, but do you know him? You can know him. You really can. And if you've never entered into a relationship with him, I want to ask you to do one thing. Come back. Maybe come back Friday, maybe come back Sunday, come back again, ask questions, go on a journey. But if you do know him, but maybe you've lost sight of him, ask him again. Say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my sight again, where I've lost you, where I've got disconnected from your life. God, today, I want that life to be reconnected in Jesus' name. Let's sing as we invite him back into our lives or into our lives even for the first time. Do you know him? I hope you do.